It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Tailford, joined by Adam Strawn. Hello. And Ewan Patterson. Hi. For a super special edition, deluxe, triple edition, the thing with the special times. Oh, are we baking <laughs> double cheese in it? Yeah. Wow. Baking an XL double cheeseburgers, my friend. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of audio podcast quality you can expect post 4 p.m. when we try and throw a podcast <laughs> together. I will say that I'm very happy that you're both here from the main What Culture channel. Plug, plug, plug. Aww. Doing all the film stuff, doing all the TV things. Go check out the main What Culture channel in general. But I thought we'd have a conversation about the state of the video game industry, mainly because Remedy's Thomas Pua was talking to IGN about the state of Alan Wake 2 and how the Xbox Series S is holding things back. And I thought we could do a general sort of leaping off point as to where we're at in the generation, what we think about the consoles so far. So this is quite a long quote. I'm not necessarily going to do all of it, but it comes from the fact that Alan Wake 2 is not going to have 60 FPS capability on the Xbox Series S. Um, and it, it ties into general conversations on how developing for the less powerful hardware um, you know, has been a bit of a problem across this generation. So um, Pua says that the Series S and the CPU is pretty much the same as the Series X, but the GPU is an issue. It really is. Having less memory is a really big problem, and that's one of the struggles when you talk about resolution and frame rate. It's not enough to drop the resolution heavily. That's what we are doing for, this, for these Series S, and we're really, really working hard to make sure the visual quality holds up. Um, but just in general, are we satisfied with the generation so far? Because I feel like so many conversations tend to circle the idea of performance and the new benchmarks and console quality with um, the frame rates, the resolutions, and stuff like that. But, Adam Strawn, are you happy with the, the generation so far? Um, <laughs> you can be honest, you can say in whatever French. you want. Uh, the, the whole answer in French. <laughs> so, um, I mean, to be honest, I think it's nice for it to be there, but that shouldn't be the selling point. You know, like, to compare it a little bit to, like, I guess, TV and film. Mm-hmm. Remember, like, when Blu-ray first came out, and you watched your first Blu-ray, and you were like, oh, look at that. Right. And then, like, to go back to the DVD version, you are be like, oh. I that was, like, a realization of, like, how much were we putting up with before yeah, I didn't realize I know, right? it. It's terrible. I'm fully in the Blu-ray zone now. Oh, right. same, oh, absolutely <laughs> same. But I think as well, it depends. Like, it shouldn't be the selling point, in my opinion. Like, you know, gameplay and story will always take focus for me every single time. And, mm-hmm. like, to co- compare it against slightly, I guess, to more movies, like, you've got certain directors, let's go for it, let's trash them. So, like, <laughs> certain, like Zack Schneider's movies, uh-huh. like, a lot of spectacle, not a lot of substance quite often. Mm-hmm. And I think that can really, they look beautiful, mm-hmm. but then they're very hit and miss. And I think, you know, to sell something based on how nice it looks when we're talking about an interactive medium like a video game, for mm-hmm. me, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So yeah, there definitely needs to be more that pulls me in then every time for me, it's, am I connected to this game? Am I in the story? Am mm-hmm. I in with the characters? Am I, have I got those, does it have those 
those emotional hooks in me, and then that's what pulls me in. So yeah, but then again, if fifty, if sixty frames a second is available, then I am clicking it. But not that is not the point of me coming towards it. Mm-hmm. That's an option that makes my experience nicer of what I'm enjoying about it already. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things that came out. Um, obviously, there's so many discussions around quality modes, performance modes that most people pick quality mode, mm-hmm. um, which is horrible. I for that I'll always go performance <laughs> mode. I want it to feel better. I want it to feel smooth and responsive and everything else. But um, either it's because people are just leaving it on the default. Most games default to quality mode. That's how you get the ray tracing and everything else. That's an, so but, not to interrupt yeah. you, but no, do that's an interesting question. Like, why do you think they default to quality rather than performance? Maybe and it's a framing like I, a word. I, honestly, I think it's because so much effort goes into these ray tracing effects and making mm. it look so nice and in that way that maybe... <laughs> maybe there's an, maybe there's a reticence to push people towards performance because there's like there is a degree of graphical fidelity that mm. gets sacrificed in the process. I don't know. I I think that the game still looks amazing uh-huh. in performance mode generally from what we've seen on this generation. Um, but, I, yeah. I think it's literally the word. If it was called something else, like if it was if it was called ray tracing mode or frame rate mode, mm-hmm. I think they'd pick frame rate mode. But I think because you're calling it quality mode, then mm-hmm. your average Joe's like, well, I want the quality probably, yeah. so I'll do that. <laughs> but I just, I, yeah, there's the, the fact that we're like three years in and we're still we're not necessarily talking about big advancements in narrative presentation in like general story interactivity. Like this year, we got Baldur's Gate three, which is a massive, massive oh. deal, and Adam Strong's favorite thing of all time. I'm gonna levitate when we talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, that seems like a big benchmark that you can hold up and be like, this is what the next generation of storytelling in video games can be. Um, but in itself, it is kind of like a an old school, like a Bioware take on an RPG yes. done, like the next level of that. Um, but you talk about previous sort of benchmarks in console, you know, the presentation of storytelling or character interactions or acting or whatever, like things like The Last of Us in 2013 mm-hmm. or Uncharted in 2007 or Metal Gear Solid in 98. Like this generation hasn't necessarily had that big thing yet. I was going to say, it mm. feels like a continuity generation. Yes. Which to me, isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world because I have to be brutally honest, the main reason why I upgraded to a PlayStation 5 so quickly was literally because my PS4 sounded like it was going to murder me. <laughs> like it was like chugging along and going, Gah! and I just, it needed to be part of its misery. Like a dog growling at Like <laughs> genuinely was so bad. Uh. So my main takeaway from this current generation of consoles is I'm just happy to have a console. It doesn't sound like it's trying to like le- levitate. And, and, <laughs> and for the most part, I think, you know, Graphically, things have looked better than ever before. You can say that certainly there are things that that, that hasn't been as great a leap. Like, you know, when we first got the Xbox 360, pretty much mm. within the space of two years, mm. you had gone through a crisp HD leap between mm. consoles. Whereas here, it's a case of like, well, we've already reached a certain great level of graphical fidelity already. And we know for a fact that the technology is there to make it go even further. And Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, the whole stuff about the Xbox Series S, you know, holding things back in Mm -hmm. terms of certain areas or whatever. Um, At the same time, I'm like, well, Red Dead Redemption 2 is still one of the best looking games in the past. You know, there are games that have released exclusively on current gen consoles that don't maybe look as good as Red Dead 2. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think I, I don't mind it being a continuity generation because I think gaming... Apart from the industry trends overall, I think if we're looking purely at a presentation point of view, I think it's in a good place. I'm happy mm-hmm. for it to be here. If you want to push it even further, by all means go. Then also you get into the conversations about, you know, game development time, it's increasing, and other stuff, and do we want more games, or do we want games to look better? And well, my thing, thing is, like, we tend to talk about, like, next-gen experiences, and obviously I went down the narrative route, the storytelling route, because of what you mentioned before, and it makes me think of Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah. But, like, a lot of the promises at the start of, gener- of the generation were SSD technology, about removing load times altogether, how that would affect the level layouts and the different game mechanics, and you can fast-load so many different things that you just couldn't before. 
And to me, we've not really seen anything. Like, there's a few things taking advantage of that. There's like little indie games called like, like games like Viewfinder, which sort of um, is a whole thing about taking photos and then reangling parts of the world. And that can be like a really cool visual trick, which also works as part of the puzzle gameplay and things. But overall, it's not like we've pointed at one game and gone like that's impossible on previous gen. Baldur's is pretty close. Yeah. Um, I feel like that would have to have a lot of concessions to make it work on a previous gen system. Um, but overall, like, you know, we can talk about like presentation and when people talk about new gen and the most expensive games, they talk about the most beautiful looking games. But it's I can't think of anything where we've looked at something on a purely technical level or a mechanical level and gone like that's worth full price for its gameplay. That's worth full price for this thing it does that is only possible on the new systems. And maybe just because of where the industries are and because there's so much um, development across the board for third parties, have to make them work on multiple systems and make them work on PCs and everything else. Um, maybe that is just impossible to try and take full advantage of the you know, unless, it's a, unless it's a platform exclusive. Because um, one of the things that comes out of the, the Pua interview um, is just talking about the pricing and um, you know the fact that you can get a Series S for $250, but the Series X and the PS5 are about $500 to $600. And he says that's a massive difference in power. Um, that he says when it comes to optimization, there's about 300 different PC configurations in general, <laughs> and that turns into a massive struggle. So I think it does end up affecting which ideas even get greenlit in the first place, which maybe leads to the homogeneity, which then leads to the fact that you can only spruce up the visuals. Because it's like, you can just sort of change resolutions, change levels of details. Like the Mortal Kombat 1 release on Switch. That thing looks like it's made of clay. <laughs> to try and make it work on Switch. It kind of looks like it's got Friday the 13th. You know that face in the Friday the 13th game? Mm. Forgot his name. The really the guy that the sweater vest and Jason shows up and he goes, <laughs> I love that face. And I think A wide-eyed grimace for the people listening at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things where like, just where we are in the industry um, for the generation, like it's three years in um, at the end of this year. Um, and it's like, you can kind of do comparative stuff with how far the generations were in previously. Like on the 360, we already had Gears of War. Um, the third year for the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One generation had The Witcher 3, Fallout 4, Metal Gear Solid 5. Like, um, but even still, like, you know, it's not like they were reinventing the wheel. Like it's just, it's an interesting talking point thinking about like where we are at three years in and whether that level of satisfaction is there. And if we're happy with visuals being the main thing. Um, so that's like a general thing. But I think for me, it's like, I'm still waiting for that one game where I'm like, oh my God, you did this. Yeah. Baldur's is pretty close though. Oh, absolutely. I think for me as well, like not to get all high and mighty, I'm not like a PC elite risk. Oh, here he is. I, uh, <laughs> he's just because I can't room. spell PC. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I have been playing, like my predominant like way of playing games is on PC. So a lot of this has existed for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I guess for me, like buying a console, it really does like, it's about the games. Like mm -hmm. which games am I really invested in that I want to see more of? And I mean, you know, talking about kind of like the hardware and things like that, I know like this little novel things, right? I mean, I'm famously not a fan of the latest Resident Evil game, although okay. in the main franchise, although I've made that very clear, but I do love the franchise, but yeah, Resident mm -hmm. Evil Village didn't do a lot for me. Mm -hmm. But then like you've got stuff on like PlayStation when like, you know, when your gun runs out of ammo, you can't physically pull the trigger anymore. And that's something that you couldn't do on previous gen. Right, yeah. But it's a nice little addition. It doesn't like fundamentally that's not what makes the game, but mm. it's still a nice little like immersive feature in that. And I love little novel things like that. Mm -hmm. When you, know, you had like on the, even PlayStation 4 and that, when you get voices come out with a controller and stuff like that, and you were like, oh, th this is interesting. This mm -hmm. is a nice little way of immersion. But yeah, like from what I've, I have a PlayStation 5 and I don't know, there's nothing there really that I've been like, oh, I needed to buy this exactly. Right. I think it was just a sake of, I'm going to get it because the games are going to come. Mm -hmm. And obviously a new village was obviously coming out for it. So I played it on that and enjoyed the little controller action on that. But, <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, mainly like if there's ever a version though on PC, because that's literally, and that's not me just being elite. That's that's just my experience of that's what I've always played from mm -hmm. being younger, mm -hmm. like going back to like Morrowind and earlier Bioware games. But yeah, like I've 
some of that stuff's existed for a long time, you know? I always wonder if that's the, the ultimate end point of anyone who takes gaming seriously is to actually disconnect <laughs> from the console cycle altogether. I have um, personal and, anecdotal and evidence of lots of friends that have done this. Who Did it work out well? On. Yeah, yeah, no, they're right. pretty much stuck to PC now. And I'm like, please come back. And they're like, ah, no. So Nice to yeah. know, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the, that's just the thing in terms of um, the pricing models, the, the amount of premium, uh, you know, the, just the general pricing models on those console storefronts that are just so high. PC tends to either be cheaper or get a um, a more sort of uh, tweaked version, a better version overall. Less, before you bring mods in as well. Yeah, there's mm. like an interesting conversation here to be had about, you know, people talking about the Series S holding the generation back and being kind of like a, an anchor that is weighing everything down because it's so technically limited. Mm -hmm. There's there's an int There needs to be a conversation here about like, well, how many people have invested in the Series S? Because we need to talk about how inaccessible gaming is proving to be as a hobby now. Like it is yeah. so, so expensive. Yeah. Games keep getting more expensive individually. Consoles, obviously you mentioned like the, the half a grand price point for the yeah. PS5 and, mm -hmm. you know, Series X. This is a lot of money, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and obviously gaming has never been cheap but it was cheaper back yes. in the day. And obviously we're talking about like, you know, wages have kind of like stagnated recently, like across the globe, you know, people find it very hard. So it's just, that's another as interesting aspect. We were talking about like, how do we feel about the games industry mm. at the minute? It, it feels like maybe you, know, you bring up you know, people moving towards PC. That's all well and good for people who like can mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. But it's, it's also, I do find it interesting in this current landscape. It's like, well, gaming itself, it's like, people are kind of settling into certain specific games. Like people will be like, oh, I'm, I'm getting the Call of Duty and the FIFA and like mm. maybe not really else. And it's just, it's it's an interesting thing at the minute because gaming as an experience is so tied up in so many different things. Mm -hmm. And the way it exists right now, there are so many weird little clouds on the horizon, even though there are certain like, you know, really good things. It's like, it, it, uh, do you guys feel slightly deflated about the industry at the minute or are you still oh, do, enthusiastic? Yeah, and that's stuff? like a whole thing I was going to do. I still might do a, a video on this. I was going to do a video called Gaming as Fubar, you know, the military <laughs> term, like yeah, F-U-B-A-R. Yeah. F'd up beyond all recognition. Um, mainly bringing in everything from the amount of layoffs, how widely spread yeah. they are, the fact that even Naughty Dog had to let some people go. Um, so just things like what Sean Layden, who is the former head of Sony, uh, former head of PlayStation said about how unsustainable even their own first party output is. Um, just sort of trying to read the tea leaves of the industry in general and how like there needs to be a reduction in the amount of money spent on those big AAA um, experiences and everything. Because even Square Enix, when they lost the $2 billion in market value, they seem to put have put all their eggs in the Final Fantasy basket. And they now need Final Fantasy Rebirth next year to recoup everything and um, because they've squandered and messed up so many other releases. But I feel like all of the big, whether it be third party or just big companies in general, are just teetering at the minute. Like they don't seem comfortable or confident at all. Like hardly anybody <laughs> is putting anything out with a degree of confidence. You've kind of got Spidey um, and Sony at the minute. That seems like a good, uh, just a safe bet. They know what they're doing. Insomniac are a great dev and whatever. But then this year, we've also had Lord of the Rings Gollum, which according <laughs> to the recent news, the, even the apology tweet was made by an AI. So there's like, Jesus. what the hell is that? Oh, um, and then like I said, layoffs across the industry, etc. Um, but yeah, like you said, you and the amount of money that is riding on every single bit of this, every single cog in this machine, mm. um, it makes it feel more unstable than ever. And you can see it like, um, whether it be Lord of the Rings Gollum or Redfall, or titles that are pushed back or whatever it is, um, the industry right now doesn't feel very secure. Like it doesn't feel very, um, I was gonna say as secure as Hollywood, but even that is yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's just a general new age thing. It's like a much bigger conversation. But definitely, yeah. I think 
in terms of the entertainment industry at the minute, there are certain ruction points going on. I think there are a lot of, you know, consumer habits have changed. We like following mm. like the pandemic and stuff mm. as well. There's lots of big challenges that these companies are, are kind of broaching. And like you mentioned there, the the like the actual cost of involved in making mm. these experiences and like the first party PlayStation games. And we're talking about game deve- like games being developed or games that started entering development like two years ago already being made with the next generation of consoles in mind, which is just wild. Yeah. I mean, I always use the Rockstar Games as example here, where it's like between 2007 and 2013, like we got like what five games from Rockstar. There was like GTA 4. Mm-hmm. There was like uh, bit of the old table tennis uh, in there. Yeah, Red Dead Redemption, <laughs> GTA 5. Table tennis was like 2006. Or something. Max Payne 3. Uh, Max Payne 3. And then you go between 2013 and 2023 and you get, well, we re-released GTA 5. <laughs> yeah. We had Red, Red, Red Dead Redemption 2, 2 mm. uh, and we re-released GTA 5 and we have Red a lot of GTA Online stuff. A lot of GTA Online stuff. And I think that in itself is like, you know, talk about studio priorities, like they obviously they put a lot into GTA Online, but at the same time, Red Dead Redemption 2 was such a massive undertaking. Mm-hmm. And it gave us a masterpiece. Like it gave us, it's my favorite game of all time. I think it's mm-hmm. the greatest game ever made. Mm-hmm. But where are we in terms of like, you know, do we want one masterpiece every six years? Does that justify the, the entry point of paying like 500 quid for a PlayStation 5? Or do we want things to kind of be like how they were in the late 2000s where you were getting more regular AAA and AA experiences mm. um, with dev cycles that would that tended to be between more like three or four years as opposed to six to ten. And that idea, yeah, that idea of what is an upper echelon game has obviously massively changed per generation. But like, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, how do you justify the console price if it, uh, sorry, yeah, the console price or the amount of different costs that go into it if you don't have the big shiny old bells or whistles thing? Um, because like, yeah, this generation has had very few of them. Like I keep mentioning Baldur's Gate because th- that was one of the only times this year where I was like, okay, this feels like, an absolute ton of work has gone into it and yeah. it's all being pulled off. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that is such an anomaly because of how much money the um, owner, creator, whatever it was of Larian has put in from his own personal funds to mm-hmm. get it over the finish line. And the original version of that game from a few years ago um, wasn't like you know, a bad game or anything, but it was yeah. demonstrably not as complete as this is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of been in this weird sort of um, early access state for a while. And this year, it's like the proper version of it. And it's interesting as well. Baldur's Gate's a really good example because, like, you know, you mentioned you as well. Like, obviously, we've just been through the pandemic and everything like that. And you can almost hear the conversations in boardrooms of people saying, How do we get our funds back up after mm-hmm. losing so much? I know nostalgia, that does really well. Let's kind of start <laughs> remaking games. And mm-hmm. Baldur's Gate's really interesting because it really harkens back to a classic classic era of gaming when you had stuff like, you know, the original Baldur's Gate games, the Neverwinter Nights, the stuff like that, even the original kind of Fallout games with those top-down view, like, tactical Mm -hmm. kind, you know, and that is doing something where it's taking the classic kind of spirit of those games and why we love them so much back then, Mm -hmm. but modernizing it in such an interesting way and then utilizing kind of the hardware and everything like that to really allow you just to do whatever the hell you want. Mm -hmm. And it's such a unique example of that and how it's done right, which is one of thousands of reasons why I absolutely adore Larian and that game. But that's a perfect example for me of how you honor something classic, do something new with it now, and just make a bloody good game. I think what's what's fascinating with that though, like as well, is that it take it was an eight year dev cycle, yeah. I think. And um, you mentioned you and about like the idea of something goes into production. So if something went into production right now, it wouldn't come out on this generation of consoles. You're looking at you could look, you could be looking at the next decade. Yeah, like it was. Um, I think it was Jason Schreier on Bloomberg was saying that most dev cycles they aim for about an eight to ten year window. So mm-hmm. it's like that's nuts. Like yeah. if we started <laughs> making a video right now, we can't put it out for another ten years. 
shares or whatever, <laughs> um, trying to factor in market trends and things like that, or things that are going to um, you know, get your game across to whatever the industry looks like in 10 years. And that's how you get stuff like Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, totally, where you're, yeah. you're coming, like, obviously it's not games as a service, it is a co-op game, mm -hmm. but aesthetically, gameplay-wise, that thing feels like it's been made in, 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 in the, the image of Fortnite. Like, you know, yeah. you've got everyone bouncing around and stuff, and it's got that irreverent, like, sense of humor and stuff like that. So you're totally right. Like, it, it your bank, the, it's a, everything is a huge, like, every business decision is a gamble. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, when we are pitching a video, we need to weigh up, you know, the costs and negatives. Like, do you think people are actually going to watch this and, and mm -hmm. all that sort of thing? Are we going to get any other value from it? Mm -hmm. the, the, the sums of money involved here you know, you, you think of like film and TV as being in dire straits at the minute in terms of like committing to, to movies that end up like not resonating at the box office. Mm -hmm. But even then, even with like the huge like stars that are involved and stuff, the, the production costs versus like the amount of time sunk into it is still way less than what's yeah. going on with games at the minute. One thing as well is like, um, that idea of like, you know, would the average consumer, would the average gamer, whoever it is, be content with a smaller project from a rock star, from a naughty dog or whatever? I would like to think yes, because I still think that you can still get a level of graphical quality that would still bring them in. That, that's mm -hmm. the interesting because you guys have been playing AC Mirage, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you, do you feel like that is, do you feel like that's a full meal? Are you eating well? Is this <laughs> I personally think so, but I yeah. don't hear as positive on me, Strawn, as I am. I mean, I'm not as far through. Um, I'm kind of like in the beginning area, but for me, from what I've played so far, like I adore it because it's taken me back to what I love about the series. Mm -hmm. So like, although that, you know, the latest trilogy in many ways is fantastic, like, you know, really, really great, solid trilogy. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of, I mean, those just blew up and became these huge things. But I love for me personally, just this streamlined version of what I love about the series and take me back to those roots. And that's mm -hmm. why I adore it. I think we were talking about it earlier where mm -hmm. pulling me into the story straight away, I'm already in because it's a lot more condensed. It's about one isolated moment and then the repercussions of that mean so much mm -hmm. more as opposed to like wars that are going on, these big battles, everything's happening around yeah. you. Where, you know, it's such a big event. I love these isolated little stories, which has then taken us further and, and in, in a more organic way mm -hmm. and then focusing into the creed and everything like that, it makes more sense. For that franchise in particular, it felt like this was necessary. Like the yeah. thing is like, this is literally a glorified DLC. It started as DLC for Valhalla. They put a bit more dev time into it. Um, and it's being, I think it's, I bought it for 45 pounds or 40 pounds. It was one of the two, but it's not a full price AAA 70 Still day. 25 quid cheaper than most of the, yeah, triple A games yeah. Yeah. Get now, yeah. But I literally as I was playing through it, because it literally is Assassin's Creed One, but with all of the various gameplay improvements they've made over the years. Like it has the crouch button from AC Syndicate, or it has like mm -hmm. some of the more set piece kills from Unity. The or Assassins has... discovered their knees. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so little things that like over the course of Assassin's Creed, we've all sort of like, you know, played those games and gone, Oh, I wish that was in before they deviated too much tonally or whatever mm. it is. Um so this one is a return to form or a return to the original, but with all the various gameplay improvements that we always wanted in there. It reminds me of when um Activision brought back the Tony Hawk's games, but they put in the moves from Tony Hawk's 2 and 3 mm. back into the levels from 1, so you could do manuals and things like It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. And so I think it plays really, really well. But overall, when I was playing it, I did think to myself, this is ex- this is all it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not trying to take advantage of my time. It's not bloating the runtime with 50 collectibles that I don't need. Um, there are, like, there are 10 optional collectibles, and they give you cool weapons if you find them. Does it like, take 24 hours to get good? Which yeah. several yeah. reviews of Odyssey <laughs> and Valhalla will... Oh, it gets good after, like, 18 hours, yeah. mate. I'm like, I don't have 18 no. hours. <laughs> Way too many games that feel like jobs, that just feel like yep. meaningless busy work, things like that. And I get that over time they can be... Um, you know, rewarding in themselves. You can get Pavlovian responses to collecting stuff, to building things. The farming genre has blown the F up mm. because of those various interconnected, um, you know, gameplay loops. But yeah, for something like Mirage, that's a really interesting example because um, it reminded me of the sort of the small amount of games that are coming out at the minute that are callbacks to the 360 era, the PS3 yeah. era, um, where you can tell exactly what they wanted to make. Mm-hmm. It is that thing. And that's that's it. Like, you know, Evil West is a really great Wild West take on Gears of War with a bunch of vampires living under the West. That's great. <laughs> uh, Trapang 2 is like, uh, it plays just like the fear games used to. And it's slow motion, first person shooting. That's it. That's all it is. Um, and I love that. Like, I love that for what it is. Um, but they don't get the marketing budgets. They don't get the um, the eyes on them. And it reminds me a little bit of right now in Hollywood um, or in cinema, there's that movie called The Creator, which is like Gareth Edwards' yes. new movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully I'm seeing that tonight. But that movie has like the visuals to pull people in, but yeah. very little marketing. Like it's sort of doing, it's kind of at the minute, it feels like it's relying a lot on word of mouth stuff. But that movie was made for a fraction of the price of the big blockbuster stuff. And I think that's a very interesting case of like, if that still works, mm-hmm. that could signal 
signal a yeah. whole bunch of stuff to happen. Yeah, not to give on, go off on a ma- massive tangent, mm. but like I sometimes I sometimes get concerned that we live in like social media bubbles, right. and that when we have our conversations on there, they aren't necessarily reflective of like general the everyday public. So mm-hmm. before going into Barbie and Oppenheimer, there was a whole thing of like, oh, we're all fed up with superhero movies, all fed up with Star Wars <laughs> stuff, and I certainly felt that. But at the, at the same time, I was like, well, maybe this isn't going to translate into the general like everyday public. Are they still going to mm-hmm. turn up for Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania? Are they still going to turn up <laughs> for Marvels next month? And the Marvels doesn't have that much competition. Mm. But then Barbie and Oppenheimer came along, and obviously there was there you know the counter programming element of that worked in their favor, mm. and that yeah. made them like huge successes. But we've also got a couple of other tests coming this year. We've got um, Killers of the Flower Moon from Scorsese coming out in October, which mm-hmm. is very much this is movie. This this is this is that's movie. like cinema. Well, that's what yeah. you want. This <laughs> is cinema. This is like an actual thing made by a human being. That's yes. made with you know a great authorial intent and doesn't exist to prop up something else's content. You know, it's an mm-hmm. actual story. Um, I, it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring in games with that too, because I think at the same, like the same way that people look at like those ornately constructed pieces of content that we get in film and TV, which have really fallen out of favor now with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, we kind of have that same attitude towards the gaming trends that we got over the last decade, like the microtransaction heavy stuff, which mm. really kind of died a hard death in like mm. 2018. Mm. Or, yeah, or like <laughs> season passes or games as a service stuff, which I think is also moving out of fashion. Totally. The difference between film and games is that films can react more quickly to this. You know, a studio can turn around and go, well, okay, the Barbie movie's made this. Let's green light Hot Wheels by J.J. Abrams, <laughs> the stupidest thing ever. And absolutely not the right takeaway, but at least they can react more quickly to yes. it and have something to bring to market in like two years time whereas with gaming it's like and that's what i find so interesting about mirage is that they must have started working on that like what 20 well 2020 for valhalla and then i guess the dlc 2021 i guess maybe they was they would have started working on that while valhalla was in development maybe before it came out maybe well apparently they were always going to do this character based spin-off so it was always going to be set in baghdad or whatever but like yeah at the same time something happened with ubisoft where they changed their role it was very prescient that it's come out at this exact moment when mm. we're all those conversations around the nature of gaming itself and like how um what kind of gaming experiences are we looking for will we settle settle for something mm. that i think mirage looks like a pretty decent hefty game it's for what it is I, even though it's it's marked lower down so yeah 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 the thing that i really liked about it is that it's uh, that i like about it. i haven't finished it yet but i'm about 12 hours in is that it's just exactly what it needs to be yeah like i said there's no hidden like you know um predatory monetization grind to it. There's no, I'm not getting lost in, oh God, I have to do five other collect fetch quests to mm. the next thing that I actually want to do. It doesn't have all that stuff in it. Um, and like I said, some of that comes from the, the base reality that it is a glorified DLC, but I do think that it feels like a good solid installment. The thing that gives it away is that it doesn't have the level of facial animation that the main installments have. Right. They just haven't been able to polish some of those cutscenes as much as they would. And there's a little bit of pop in when you're riding around in the open world. But for the most part, it is exactly what it needs to be. And for me, um, it's just one of those things where, like, why couldn't we get a bunch of these from a Naughty Dog or a bunch of these from Rockstar or Rockstar staff? Like, um, the idea that EA has the EA Originals program, um, which birthed um, It Takes Two and A Way Out and Unravel. And if even EA, if even EA can do it, siphon off a, a... I mean, I know that they're picking up studios and, and funding them and stuff, but I don't know why we don't have that in the from the other bigger teams. Like, Rockstar launched their own store. But they don't. It's not like they're going out there going like you're Rockstar approved. Like they don't do any of that stuff. Yeah, you, Ubisoft team on it. Like obviously years ago, this, we're looking at nearly a decade ago now. We had Freedom Cries DLC for Black mm-hmm. Flag. Which That's then, exactly which what Mirage they, is like. We then released yeah. as, uh, as as a standalone mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. It's great. Why wouldn't Rockstar go? Well, okay, Red Dead Redemption Two sold millions. Let's 
dedicate a certain team so maybe we'll do a Sadie Adler spin-off yeah. or like mm. a smaller Red Dead style game mm-hmm. yeah. it's just the priorities just seem really weird at the minute and I think well, like we, we are having these conversations right now like we want smaller stuff we want to have more in general mm. but clearly the live service stuff is still making in lots of money like mm. the new EA sports game is going to continue to make lots of money because <laughs> yeah. football is the most popular thing on the planet mm-hmm. you know we're going to see more from Call of Duty. I don't think people are going to get sick of that. People are going to pay for the glorified DLC that is Modern Warfare 3. You know, these these are all things. So, like, I think there are certain movements coming. It's all about weighing up whether or not the general audience is as attuned to these conversations, which I think maybe from evidence this year they are. Yes. Mm. Versus how many people does it take to make that change actually a reality? Mm. Which, I always, yeah. like, I'm always like quite proud of like the the gaming populace in terms of what we reject on mass. Like no really nefarious thing has gotten by us as a collective. Like most of the stuff that is truly predatory and overly um, you know transactional in regards to fun. It dies. Shadow of War tried to sell everybody orc loot crates and it didn't work. <laughs> like, there's nearly always something like that. There's obviously going to be the likes of, like you said, the Call of Duties, the Fortnites, things like that, and they're done to different degrees of palatability. I don't mind there being cash cows, but it's just the fact that they start trying to turn every last thing into the cash cow, well, which I think why there's, that's why there's so many layoffs and live services keep dying. It's interesting as well. Like, Rockstar is a good comparison point with, like, you know, Ubisoft because then, like, you know, everyone was crying out for, like, Red Dead 1 to be remade, right? And instead, mm. we got this remaster that came out on Switch and obviously other consoles and then still sold for a heck of a lot of money mm-hmm. for an old game. And then you've got someone like, you know, we've got Mirage that's come out and like basically that could have just been the first Assassin's Creed remade and resold. But instead, I know that obviously development already started on it, mm-hmm. but they've taken what people loved about Assassin's Creed and given it this brand new story and mm-hmm. like breathed new life into it. That's the way you do it, man. Like that's mm-hmm. that's why I take my hat off to it. That's really how you honor something what the fans have been crying out for without giving them something that they've already played before. Mm-hmm. So that I think that's one of the strengths definitely of Mirage. That's why I'm in. You know, no, I mean, same. I've, yeah. I've played every single game in the franchise. Mm-hmm. So like I'm well back into this. Plus, it does have those beautiful smoky tones <laughs> of your hair at Dashlu, who has just got one of the best gaming voices ever. She does. That was honestly. the thing with um that overall idea of the scope that went into Mirage is like because right now there's such a thing about the 20 year gap, like the cyclical what can you bring back from 2003? Yeah. And just, just bring it back and bring it back. Or the or 2000s in general. Low-rise jeans. <laughs> Backwards caps, let's go. Fred Durst. Oh, Where the hell is Olympus? Take me back. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Assassin's Creed, like you said before, they could have just remade the original mm-hmm. one. And they ostensibly have. But like, and if they had remade the original Assassin's Creed and it was a remake, not a remaster, it would play like this. Mm-hmm. It would play with all the gameplay improvements from the last sort of 10 plus years um, of the sequels and everything. But it's just, it's really interesting because like there are all these different ways to approach um, previous installments when it comes to the remaster remake thing or trying to cash in on the nostalgia, which is another talking point that I had down, which is how much do you want your childhood or your teen years or whatever served back to you? <laughs> I don't personally want that. Um, there are certain things that I think the industry is missing out on, certain franchises that I would like to see active if there are worthwhile ideas to be done with them. Mm-hmm. Like I love Soul Reaver and that whole feel of that game, but you would need Simon Templeman to be the voice or something like that. Like get Amy Hennig back to write another one or whatever. Someone who feels that like they have something to do with that IP. I don't just want it trotted out. Hey, remember remember, remember thing? Yes. Now it's 60, 70 pounds again. I find that really off-putting and horrible and hollow and sterile. And I don't think it's a way for an industry to survive. I would still love a new burnout, but you'd have to make it right and make it work <laughs> at 120 frames a second. And you could do so much with that, with new technology. So like, for me, I don't want any of that uh, selling me my childhood back to me stuff. And I think mm. at the minute we're in this weird... Um, like valley of gaming and movies and TV just doing that over and over yeah. and over again. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we're definitely in there where, like, we see it in movies all the time, right? I mean, like, the most recent Ghostbusters, you know, like, that, that's a perfect example yeah, of that totally. type of thing. And, like, we see this all the time. It's like, remember this? Remember these people that you loved? Well, they're back, so you should love it again. <laughs> uh-huh. And we see that a lot in gaming as well. I mean, how many remakes and remasters have we got right now? And it's very much of, I'd like to say, of the time. Mm. We'll see, like, in 10 years' time whether we're still doing this type of dance. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, like, I love, I love to be reminded of, like, a time that I loved, but in a more of a it's influencing something now and it's taken me further forward. So like probably Dragon Age is a really good example of this where mm-hmm. uh, Inquisition, I don't, did you both play Inquisition? Or? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not yeah. a Dragon Age guy. Okay, no, no worries, <laughs> you're in well. I didn't finish I Inquisition. hate my Bioware opinions. I really bounced off Mass Effect instantly Whoa, as well. Oh yeah. my God. Oh no. Yeah. Those who can't see, this is not a visual podcast right now. My skin <laughs> is coming off my skull. The Mako <laughs> can die in hell. Oh uh, my it's God. the Mako actually. Oh, so. the Mako. Yeah. Yeah. Exit is over there. But, uh, <laughs> no, but what I was going to say is, so like in the second um, Dragon Age game, you play as Hawk, and then he obviously or she makes an appearance into the third game. Now, that could have very much just been a moment of, you know, oh, here's this character that you love, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and there mm. were characters that obviously did return. But then you get this big, beautiful moment of when like Hawk sacrifices himself for, the, for your new character. Mm-hmm. And that was literally almost like a passing on of, look, this is the experience you had. This is what I'm doing. And now this is your new character, basically, earning from mm-hmm. that and going forward and even just that little moment you remember when like your character says to Varric oh he told you to say goodbye like, right okay and, like Varric gets really emotional and it's like oh my god because Hawk meant so much to him as well mm-hmm. but now Varric's passed on and is supporting your new character like the Inquisitor obviously mm-hmm. that type of stuff I absolutely love because it's reminding legacy. you legacy yeah and that's yeah. exactly the word you and it's legacy it reminds you of all of that incredible legacy that you had with this character and then they've passed on to something new that's mm-hmm. how you do it man that makes me think because um, I remember thinking this while watching the Creed movies uh, in terms of like, you have Rocky as a character mm-hmm. in there but he's passing the torch to Creed and then they go forward and it's like and it makes sense it's respectful it's literally passing the torch on Star Wars tried to do it like they never had Han Luke Leia together for one scene at all and then yeah, obviously that stuff that. fell apart but still that could have been a way to do it whereas yeah. like now the, the hole that we're in at the minute just seems to be like let's bring back thing well, and like do with, thing with, again with, again not to belabor the Call of Duty point or whatever but like we had that mod, like we had that really good uh, remaster of Modern Warfare mm. uh, that came out with Infinite Warfare in what must have been 2017 2016 yes 2016 yeah um, and then after that, we had Modern Warfare reboot, which is like, you remember, remember Captain Price? Yeah. <laughs> remember Ghost? Yes, who's remember back? Gaz? They're all back. Uh-huh. And now we're even more depressing. So it's <laughs> a case of like, people will go for that. But I think with Call of Duty, it's such a, like a, a generational thing that, that that title is so embedded as a staple that people go through. It either mm-hmm. Yeah, the nostalgia element is it's, it's, it's definitely frustrating and it needs to kind of depart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it that, but it's like it is fascinating because like I mean I, I try and talk to a wide variety of people whether it's like a wide variety of family members or friends and social circles whatever it is I try and get that word on the, like the person on the street who isn't what's following the, on the street <laughs> I want to know what's going on <laughs> and um, but that that idea of nostalgia like that tends to be the response tends to be like oh my god they're bringing this thing but I loved that when I was a kid cool and that's it it stops right there mm-hmm. and they're reminded of the thing and they're happy that it's back because that means that the company that's producing the thing is doing it right because they remember it well I don't have that. I have the initial thing of, oh, cool. But then I just go, but what have I got now? Oh, that again? Oh, that feels <laughs> inward. And then it just, the um, serpent eats its tail and it falls apart. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I, as long as, if you're not doing anything new, I've, I've hopped on about this so much on What Culture Gaming Podcast. But if, you don't, if you're not supplanting, hey, old thing, with like, but we're also moving forward, I don't view that as forward momentum at all. Like, Nintendo are finally getting in on all the remake craze right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're remaking Paper Mario and they're remaking Super Mario RPG. Um, and a few other things that they're sort of bringing back. 
Um, but they also have new games. They have like, you know, Mario Wonder and they have the Switch 2 and whatever else. And so it's like it has to be that balance. Whereas like if you're just relying on the, the past thing um, and, and as a way to cut costs and a way to make sense uh, and to put something out in the current economy and everything, um, there's just something weirdly sad about that. <laughs> <We> talk, <laughs> about we, not moving forward. We talked about it in the podcast this, this morning that we did where it was talking You mean about, on Monday, you On the wind-up. <laughs> yes. Uh, talking about, like, we... The, the interesting debate at the minute of, like, where do you... Where, why can't we let games age now? Like, why can't we be happy to play a game that was made in 2009 that... Is still that still holds up really really well? Yeah. Why do we then need to go and like? Well, we need to like add stuff to it and remake it and then bring it back and like that. That aspect to me is something that I find really interesting because is there a general attitude among consumers now? Have they got enough market research mm. that they have been told that? Well, actually, even though I know I can play Horizon Zero Dawn on my PlayStation Five, I don't want to play it because Forbidden West is better. I, I feel so sorry for the upcoming generation because they don't have anything to call their own. Like they have Fortnite <laughs> and Roblox and everything else. You've, you've got to play with. <laughs> Grandad's toys. Like, mm. if you don't get anything for yourself. I think that's a really just weird. And it's like how protracted it gets where they're bringing stuff back. Like, I forget the name of the woman who was in the original Exorcist or whatever, but I'm sure she's oh, in I the like new movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's in the new movie. And then <laughs> the other day, they're doing like more Frasier. And I was just yeah, like yeah, looking yeah. at the, like I couldn't believe that was I yeah. thought that was AI generated mm -hmm. and it's like no they're, they're bringing that back again he's back he's in back form even though he had an ending like stuff yeah. that has endings we'll just do it again need that eggs and salad mate <laughs> <laughs> and it makes you think as well like you know the new IPs that we are getting now like in ten years time are they going to be remade and remastered yet again like are back mm. it, it just makes you question that because you know things always happen in cycles things mm -hmm. always comes around you know so. God, that's depressing, but we'll see. <laughs> I think, yeah, to bring it all full circle, I think there is, like, for three years into the current generation, there are a lot of conversations about just how much money is doing the rounds on these um, top-end projects and how much um, things end up leaning on bankable mechanics, repeat mechanics, the same genres over and over again um, to try and just get things over the finish line. I think that as much as we thought or we hoped that we might have left broken games behind in the previous gen, <laughs> this year alone's had Redfall and Lord of the Rings Gollum and whatever. It's just, it just keeps happening. But the unsustainability, I think, is very, very noticeable. Maybe just because we follow it so much. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, I mean, I feel so sorry for anyone just buying Redfall or just you know paying the money for yeah. Lord of the Rings Gollum or whatever, and then just realizing that that is just how gaming is. That's how <laughs> gaming do in, like, 2023. Um, but, yeah, I think overall, obviously, we haven't talked that much about the positives. We might do a follow-up podcast for this mm. um, and talk about the best um, games of the generation or something so far. Um, for now, this has been the, been the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tilford, joined by Adam Strawn. Goodbye, everyone. Joined by you, Patterson. Adios. <laughs> <laughs> From Three Amigos, and we'll catch you soon. Goodbye. Great movie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.